Morning, Grace Hill. It's good to see all of you. Um, I had uh, I had the privilege to be on that trip, and um, man, the Lord the Lord did a lot. And to those that I got to go with from the church, just what a joy it was to minister alongside of you and be in the Amazon with you. And um, just so proud of the way that you represented Christ there. Um, it really was a, a fantastic trip. And I, I do encourage you, you know, we uh, host trips down to the Dominican Republic. You know, um, JMI is now another uh, a partner that we have. And so, you know, it's, if you ever have the opportunity to get out of the country and to minister to people um, in a different culture and context and have them minister to you, it, it is so... Um, uh, I would just say it's like this jolt to your faith. Um, and, you know, we partner with organizations that uh, do the work of working with local churches. I just want you to know that. That, that we don't want to partner or we don't want to go overseas and kind of have this mentality that we're doing the work and, you know, the experts have shown up. Um, that's, that's not what it is at all. We just get to partner with churches that are on the ground that are there today ministering to their people. They're going to be there next Sunday and all week. They're there, and we just get to go encourage them and be encouraged by them. So if you ever have that opportunity, you should, you should jump on it. One other thing I want to say before we jump in, I just want to come back uh, kind of behind Evan um, as he was talking about the opportunity that we have to minister to our kids here at Grace Hill Kids, 100 kids, that is a lot of kids. Uh, Lindsay showed me that figure this week, and um, I was just blown away by it. And again, I agree with Evan, like that is, that is an opportunity for us, and we have a, a big need, a big need here at Grace Hill for people to engage in the discipleship of these kids. You know, on that trip that I was just on, um, one of the things that we did every day, and I did primarily throughout the week, was home visits. We'd go into people's homes and hear their stories and talk with them and pray over them. And I, every single day in different villages, I would have the same experience several times over where I would be in a home, I'd be talking to these people, and this child would be somewhere in the home, or they would walk in. And I would ask the question, oh, is this your child? And they would go, no. That's like the neighbor's kid, or that's this kid. And I really, like, it really is village mentality that, that everyone kind of takes part in caring for the kids. And I literally saw that. And Grace Hill, we're a small church. Uh, we're a village mentality here. We need everyone to engage in this uh, because it's going to take everyone uh, to make sure that we have good volunteer rhythms, that no one's getting burnt out. All right? We, we get the need for rest, and we get the need to be able to come here and worship and not have a lot to do. So just want to encourage you to not see this as a need that needs to be fulfilled, but a calling that God has asked all of us to step into. I also want to encourage the men. Like, guys, we always have more ladies than guys serving in kids. I just want to encourage the men. We need you in uh, Grace Hill Kids. So please um, pray about it. The Lord's going to tell you to do it, so that'll be an efficient prayer. And then uh, you can click that QR code and go uh, sign up. We'd love to be able to hit the fall season when we expand out our classrooms, hit the fall season strong, and be able to serve these kiddos as well. Sound good? All right, good. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate that, man. This morning, um, I sent the members of our, e, uh, of our um, church an email yesterday saying, uh, today's an important day. 
And it's an important day because, one, we're going to have a family meal later, as we said. And, and there, um, we're going to be talking through our budget for the next year. And that's not just talking through money. That's talking through, hey, what are, what are the things that we think God has called us to that we need to invest in? And so we're going to be talking about that uh, this evening, um, Q&A time, and then going into a month of prayer before we vote and commit to that, to that budget. So super important. Please come to the family meal. But this morning it's important because over the next three weeks, starting this morning, I, I just want to take a few weeks to guide us in the scripture uh, to where we believe that God is leading us as a church over the next year and the kinds of things that he is calling us to focus on and to be cognizant of uh, over the next year. So these next three weeks are going to be important as we really set the tone um, for the next year. And so this morning, I want to start us in Isaiah 25. So if you have a Bible, please open that to Isaiah 25. And all I want to do this morning is I just want to be really clear about um, the heart that God has given me uh, for this church and um, for the ministry we have here in Herndon and where I believe God is leading us over the next year. So we're going we're gonna to look primarily at two scriptures uh, this morning, and this is going to be real simple, um, but I'm so grateful for God's providence because Peter already preached my sermon. Um, he's been dying to do that, so I appreciate that, Peter. Um, but Peter's just message that he just gave us, this idea of when we're just obedient to what the Lord is calling us to do, especially in really small things, when we're obedient to reach out to a particular person in a really small way, we have no idea what God is going to do through that. And I just, I love that we got to start there because that's where we're gonna end today. So Isaiah 25, let me, let me read this. One of my favorite passages in Scripture. I've preached on it several times and will several more. I'm going to read verses 6 to 9. And Isaiah is giving us a vision. And here's the vision. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. A feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. I love this passage because it's such a clear picture of God's heart. It's such a clear picture of what God is doing in the world, what God is doing through the church, and ultimately what God will do when he brings his kingdom in its fullness. And God uses this image of a banquet, a feast, to describe it. And when we look at the feast, who's seated at this feast? The scripture says all 
peoples. Um, The Bible is clear from beginning to end that God and his kingdom, it will be all peoples, every tribe, nation, and tongue will be seated at this feast. And as we look at the feast, what is on the table? What's being served? I love this. My favorite passage. Well-aged wine and food full of marrow, right? That's a good steak and a good glass of wine. All right? The Bible said it. I didn't. That's not me putting it into the Bible. That's me reading what's in it. All right? And so we got this, this great spread in front of us, luxurious food, right? The best wine saved for last in his kingdom is on the table. And what does God do at this feast that we read in the scripture? Well, it says, number one, he he takes away the veil from his people. And that's reminding us back to Moses, right? When Moses had to wear a veil, when he went into the tabernacle. And this veil, it kind of represented this fact that that Moses couldn't be in the presence of God without some sort of covering, some sort of barrier, right? Because Moses and all of us, we're, we're sinners and God is holy and we can't be in the presence of holiness. But what we see here at this feast is the veil's lifted, right? There, there's no more barrier between us and God. We're able to be in his presence. We're righteous in his presence. And then it says he removes our reproach. He takes away all our shame. There's nothing that we're ashamed of at this table. He takes away, he wipes away all the tears from our eyes. Our sadness has been healed and death is no more. And what do the people do at this table? They celebrate. Verse 9. This is our God. We've waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. They celebrate. You know, some of my um, most vivid memories of joy has been at a table with food and good friends around it. I mean, one of the, the best memories I have of that is, I remember several years ago, my wife and I traveled to the Dominican Republic. We partner with the Hispaniola Institute of Theology, and I've been working with them for years now. And so Kim and I traveled down there because we were going to the first ever graduation. And so we have these students who studied for five years um, in pastoral ministry and church leadership. They just graduated. And so we're with our, some of our best friends, Noah and Stephanie Joyner. Noah started the institute, and we're with them, and we come down to celebrate at this graduation. And so after it's all said and done and we're with the students, them and us, we just went out to eat, to celebrate, to have fun. And we go to this great restaurant called Poppy's that's right on the beach in this little beach town called Cabarete. And we ordered this, these great, this great food. We have great wine on the table. And we're just enjoying this meal. I paid this mariachi band to come over and make my wife blush. And like, we're just laughing and we're having a great time. But one of the reasons why I, I just have such vivid memories of that is because not only was the food amazing, not only was the scenery around us incredible, but we were with people that we loved so dearly. We were with people that we can cry with, that we can confess sin to, that have committed to us and we've committed to them. And there was just this idea of like, we're celebrating all that God has done together. We're with people that we feel safe with and we trust. And we're just enjoying this time together. And it was such this vivid memory of like, that's what the kingdom is gonna be like. That's what Isaiah 25 is saying. 
that God's kingdom, when Christ returns and rids the world of all sin and establishes his kingdom, that it's going to be like this feast where we're with people that we can truly laugh and celebrate and enjoy. Our reproach is gone. Our sadness is gone. Our death is no more. The veil is lifted. We can see God. Our faith has now become sight, and we're just enjoying the good gifts that are before us. Like, that's the kind of eternity we get to look forward to. But what I want us to see this morning is this, is that although, yes, that, Isaiah 25, is going to be fulfilled in the kingdom in its fullness, today in the church, we get to taste it. That God's heart for the church is that it would be almost like an appetizer of it. That we would still have this experience of being able to come to a table and feast with people that we love and love us. A place where we begin to experience what it's like to have our reproach and our shame taken away and the fear of death taken away and the tears wiped away from our eyes. And we get to taste what the kingdom of God is going to be like for all of eternity. The church gets to taste this. And who's seated at the table? Well, God gave us a clear mission to go to all nations and make disciples. And so the church is this place where all peoples are welcome. And what are we feasting upon in the church? What do we feast upon on a regular basis as a church? What is the one meal that we're commanded to share together? Isn't it to come and take the bread and to take the wine and to remember what Christ has done for us? As we come together as a church, we feast upon Christ. We feast upon the gospel. We feast upon this reality that Jesus Christ has come near to us so that we could be in relationship with God. Because of what Christ has done, he has lifted the veil. He has made it so that we could be in relationship with God without all this religious stuff to stand in between us. And the veil is lifted and we get to know who God is. Jesus Christ, who came and literally removed our reproach, he took all of our sin to the cross so that we wouldn't have to be ashamed of ourselves anymore, so that it would be safe for us to confess sin and to share where we're struggling and help each other follow Jesus. We feast upon Christ, who promises us that one day all of our sadness would be healed, and in the church we can taste that. We feast upon Christ, who takes away our fear of death, because he rose from the grave and he conquered death. And he promised us life in his kingdom. And so the church is this place where we can come together. We can feast together. We can experience what it's like not to feel shame, not to feel judgment, not to fear death, to have our tears wiped away. And we get to celebrate together the salvation of our God. At Grace Hill, our desire our longing is that at this church, we would taste that banquet together. As you know, the mission of our church, I'll put this on the screen, 
The mission of our church is to be a diverse community, all peoples, that follows Jesus, loves people, and is safe to be known. We like to describe our ministry philosophy. Y'all have heard this a million times. You're going to hear it a million times over again. We like to describe our ministry philosophy, if you go to the next slide, like this triangle. Or think of it as a stool, a three-legged stool. I didn't bring my stool today. I should have. A three-legged stool where every leg of the stool is, is indispensable. One leg of the stool is that we are called to know God as a church. That we need to be growing in our knowledge of God's word. Growing in knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We also need to be a church that knows ourselves, that we have the awareness of where Jesus is seeking to change and heal and transform us. And we also need to be a church that knows one another. We are helping each other follow Jesus. And all three of these are indispensable. You remove one of them, and then I don't think we're fulfilling God's will for us as a church. Right, if you take away the top, the, the knowing God part, and we're just about self-help and helping each other do that, well, then we're not a church anymore. What are we preaching? What makes us distinct from the world around us? It's a temptation for churches to remove that top. Because if you stand firm in what you believe through the scriptures, you will be criticized and ridiculed in our world. Jesus warned us of that. So you can't remove the top. If you remove the the no others part. And all we are is a church that seeks to know our Bibles really well and see where Jesus is trying to transform us, but we're not doing that together. Well, then we're not fulfilling God's will for the church. Jesus said in John 13, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. That, that God's whole design for the church is that we would do this together and not alone. And of course, we if we were to remove the no self part, if we were to say, you know what, let's let church be all about reading our Bibles, growing in our knowledge of the Bible, we'll hang out, we'll have good community together. But when it comes to the areas where Jesus is seeking to change, transform, and heal me, that is getting way too close. Then what are we? We're just a cultural, religious institution. Right? It's not about transformation and what Jesus is actually trying to do in one another's lives. And this is what we believe God has called us to. This is what we believe helps us as a church be a taste of that banquet. You know, Evan made this comment the other day. I'm going to put it on the screen. Evan, I didn't tell you I was stealing this from you, um, but you'll be all right. Evan made this comment to me the other day. We were talking about this and talking about our vision of the church and what we long for the church. And he wrote this up on the whiteboard. He wrote up gospel plus time plus safety equals transformation. Gospel plus time plus safety equals transformation. And I thought, that's it. Right there. Right? The gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the very thing that does transform us, plus time where we have patience with one another and we help each other work that out in each other's lives, plus safety. We become a place where we can share what's actually going on inside of us. That is the formula that brings transformation. You know, so just to get it relevant for a second. You know, maybe you have someone who is struggling with something in their life. And the church is all up in arms right now over things like sexuality and gender. So let's say that you have someone who's struggling in their sexuality or struggling in their gender. And I believe people actually struggle with those things. It's really tempting 
to say gospel equals transformation. Hang with me for a second. Do I believe the gospel transforms? Absolutely. There is no transformation without the gospel. But you have so many churches who will be like, we're going to give you the gospel, but time and patience with you, safety for you to actually share your story, safety for you actually to share what's inside of you, no, you just get this. You just get the gospel, not time, not safety. It doesn't equal transformation. The food at that banquet doesn't taste very good. Now, a lot of times what happens with people is they'll find another group. And that group will give them time and safety. It won't give them gospel, but it'll give them time and safety. And they go, that's who I belong to. That's my identity. Those are my people. Because they have given me time and safety. And we believe as a church that God has called us to be a people that give each other the gospel of Jesus Christ without wavering. Time, patience to work that out. And the safety to be able to talk through it. Because we believe that's the formula. That's the strategy for transformation. We want to know God. And his word, we want to know ourselves and where Jesus is seeking to transform us. And we want to know one another and help each other follow Jesus. And we believe that that is how we as a church become a taste of this banquet that we read about in Isaiah 25. And we've been seeking to do this, especially through our groups. That's why we've been focusing on sharing our stories with one another. And we will continue to focus on that as a church because we want to create a place where the gospel comes to bear and there is time and safety because Jesus is seeking to transform and heal every single one of us. And here's exactly what I want to talk about this morning. Is that the same strategy, this, that we've been using to be a taste of that banquet for one another in this church is the same strategy of how we reach our neighbors. We believe that God is calling and leading us as a church to focus this year on being that for our neighbors, having the courage and the boldness the simple obedience, as Peter has already talked about this morning, to go and invite our neighbors in to taste and see the banquet that the Lord has given us. If you have a Bible, go to Luke chapter 14. Real quick, I want to read one more passage. Luke chapter 14, starting in verse, uh, let's do 15. This is uh, Jesus um, teaching us with a parable. It says, when one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, so Jesus is at a table with a bunch of people, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Blessed is everyone who's going to experience that banquet from Isaiah 25, right? But Jesus said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. He launches into a story, a parable. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. 
But they all like began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I have to go examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I got married and therefore I can't come. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. And the master of the house became angry and said to his servants, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now, Jesus, the reason he tells this parable is he's talking to the Jews and the Pharisees around him because the Jews were God's people. They were the first people to receive God's word. They were the first people to receive the prophecies. They were the ones that the Messiah was promised. And Jesus is the Messiah himself, and he's here, and he's saying, the banquet is ready. I'm about to go to the cross. Like, it's ready to come into and to enjoy And yet the Jews did not recognize Jesus as their Messiah. Essentially, they were the invited guests who said, ah, I don't want to go to that banquet. And so Jesus says, then, okay, if you're not going to come, then we're going to take this gospel. We're going to take this kingdom to the highways and hedges, to the outskirts of the city, as far and wide as we can go. And we are going to compel people to come in. Why? Because this banquet will have all people's seated at it. Jesus has given us a vision that this banquet that we get to experience together is not just for us. There are going to be people who come, maybe they grew up in church, Maybe they've been religious their whole life and they're going to look at the spread and they're going to say, I don't want any part of that. And Jesus is saying, I'm calling my church to go to the highways and hedges and to compel people to come in, to invite people to come in and taste and see what Christ has done for them. To experience what it's like to be a part of a community where there is no shame and no judgment. To experience what it's like to have your tears wiped away the fear of death eliminated, and what it's like to celebrate our creator and our God who is drawn near to us. He's calling us to the highways and hedges that our neighbors may experience what it means to have the gospel of Jesus Christ ministered to them with time and safety so they can experience true transformation in Christ. We believe that God is calling us as a church over the next year to focus on conversion growth in this church. Not growth for growth's sake, but seeing this church grow because our neighbors are being invited in, they're tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, and they're giving their lives over to Jesus. This is what we have been praying about. And so as 11, 10. Okay. So as we think about that, what I want to do quickly is I want to give us three rules for inviting our neighbors to the banquet. 
Inviting our neighbors into the church to experience that this is good. And when I say invite our neighbors in, I don't mean just invite them to a service to hear the music and the sermon. I mean inviting them into our community, to our groups, to our homes, to hear. So when I use the word invite to church, I don't just mean Sunday morning, 10 a.m., that's included. I mean into this banquet that we get to experience in the taste. Three rules of inviting our neighbors into this. And then I'm going to give us something to be praying about over the next several weeks. Here's the first rule. Our invitation to our neighbors must come from a deep longing for them to experience the food that's on the table. Right? When you experience an amazing uh, food, you go tell your people, uh, your friends and your family to experience it, right? So before, you know, I think the one restaurant that I always hear people talk about, right? Like, and they're always like, you gotta, you gotta come try this, right? Is the Brazilian steakhouse, right? It's the Fogo de Chao, the Texas Day Brazil, right? Because everyone's like, man, the salad bar is amazing. And you get unending steak. You have like this little coin. And if it's red side up, they don't fill your plate. But if you flip the coin, these people just fill your plate full of steak. It's amazing. Everyone talks about it. So I was super pumped because we got to go to a Brazilian steakhouse in Brazil on Wednesday night. And it was awesome. But when you experience something like that, you tell people about it. You got to try it. Man, I long for you to taste the flavors. Like, come in, right? There's a, there's a longing for your neighbor to experience it. I can think of a, over a dozen people in my life, next door neighbors that I have, people at the gym that I go to, friends that I have, uh, just people that I know don't know Christ, but I've been able to build a relationship with. And I can tell you, I, I long for them to feel what it's like to have your reproach removed. Like I long for them to have a community where they can come in and share everything that's going on inside of them. I long for them to feel the security that Christ gives you when he takes away that fear of death. I, I long for them to feel the purpose that Christ gives you when he snatches your life and he gives you a mission to live your life glorifying him and sharing about him. Like I long for them to feel the, the fullness that Christ brings, the joy of this particular banquet. And so when you long for your neighbor to experience that, that motivation to invite them in, it's not obligation, it's, it's love for them to experience this banquet. And that leads to rule number two, and that's this. We can't pretend that we know people. Listen, the gospel is simple. It is simple. But people's lives are not simple. And I think too often in the church, we oversimplify people's lives. We do the gospel equals transformation thing, but we're not going to give you the time and safety to share all that's in you so that you can see that the gospel can actually bring transformation in your life. We oversimplify things. We pretend that we actually know people, and we can't pretend that way. I know for many of you that the journey that you took into the church, the journey that you took into following and trusting Jesus, the journey that you took into actually trusting people in the church was not an easy or short or simple journey. It took people being curious and consistent in your life, being patient 
giving you time, giving you safety for you to be able to walk that journey. And we must give our neighbors the same kind of journey. We don't know them. And for them to trust our invitation to the banquet, we need to have the curiosity and the consistency in their life. It's the same thing we've been doing in groups. That's how we love one another in our groups. Let's sit. Let's give each other the time. Let's give each other our attendance. Let's give each other our attention so that we can help each other grow in Christ. It's the exact same way we invite our neighbors. And number three, third rule, is we are called by God to compel people to come, though. That word compel from Luke 14, 23 means strongly urge. So I think one of the pitfalls of evangelism in the church today, right, is we follow rule three. We're called by God to compel. We just don't do one and two. Where our motivation comes from our longing and our love for them. And we're not pretending that we know them. We just follow number three. We compel people to come in. But to compel people without love and without context feels phony. But at the same time, we are called to have the courage to step out and invite people to the banquet, to compel people to come in. We are called to be obedient, as Peter just talked to us about, having no idea how that simple act of courage, that simple act of love, could completely not just change a whole person's life, but their family and generations after. I mean, the amount of damage, and by damage, I mean good, that you could do for the kingdom (laughs) through one simple act of courage and obedience, right? It is God who oversees that. It is God who's sovereign over that. And it is God who calls us to compel people to come in. And so, hey, band, come on up. Wow, it's 11.15. All right, band, come on up. So here's the deal. Grace Hill, this fall, we want to be focusing on what does it mean, what does it look like to invite our neighbors into the banquet? And so what I want to challenge you to do is I want you to be praying over the next few weeks about three people that you'd like to invite into this. And again, I'm not just talking about the service. I'm talking about this community, this church, this banquet. Three people that you could invite in. And I want you to be praying about it. And starting on September 10th, um, the Sunday after Labor Day, we're going to be jumping into a new sermon series, seven weeks in the Gospel of John that we're calling Stories of Belief, as the Gospel of John has seven different signs that Jesus gives that helps people believe that he is truly God. And we're going to just be working through those seven signs. And it's going to be, I think, a a great sermon series, not only to nourish us in our faith, but a sermon series that would help people who don't know Christ to really consider and think about who Jesus is. And so I want us to be praying about who are three people that we could invite in to this banquet. Three people that could come. It's starting now, starting on September 10th. It, It doesn't matter but three people that God might be calling us to step out in obedience to have the courage to invite in to the banquet that we have the privilege of enjoying. Let me pray. God,
I pray right now, uh, very quickly, that you would move us as a church to have compassion on our neighbors. That we would be our church that goes out to the highways and hedges of this town and invites people to come and taste and see that you are good. I pray that you would lead us in that. I pray, God, that you would give us the courage to step out in faith and obedience. And God, I pray that you'd be going before us. Lord, we know that we have neighbors who are longing for someone to come and make that invitation. Give us the courage to do that. In Christ's name, amen.